0: The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of The Murderish Podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. Social media is a double-edged sword. It connects us to people we likely would have never encountered and allows us to stay in touch with family and friends no matter where they live. As much as social media can be a tool to stay connected in a positive way, The barrier between people on social media can also be used as a way to cloak someone's true nature. In the case we're examining in this episode, both positive and negative aspects of social media were applied. The victim found refuge online and used social media as an outlet where she could explore her identity as she journeyed into adulthood. But the sanctuary she found in online communities would shift in July of 2019, with social media serving as a catalyst for unspeakable peril. Join me as I walk you through the case involving Bianca Devins. case takes us to Utica, New York. The medium-sized city is located in central New York and rests in the Mohawk Valley, roughly 240 miles northwest of New York City. Due to its location along the Erie Canal, Utica found its wealth as a hub of textile production in the 19th century. Other manufacturing industries developed with the addition of the Mohawk and Hudson Railroads. These modern additions greatly benefited the city. Furniture, lumber, and heavy machinery were just some of the goods manufactured there. Utica also played a significant role in the Underground Railroad. It served as a station for over 650 fugitive slaves fleeing the Deep South in the 1850s. A century later, Utica had transformed. By the 1950s, It earned the name Sin City due to widespread organized crime and political corruption. Industries that made the city what it once was had dramatically declined and the population migrated to the surrounding areas in search of work. Today, Utica maintains a relatively low cost of living and boasts an ethnically diverse population. The affordability of housing and relatively low crime rate make Utica a nice place to raise a family. Bianca Michelle Devins was a Utica native. She was born on October 2, 2001, to Michael and Kimberly Williams Devins. Mike and Kim had known each other for only a few months when Kim learned she was pregnant. Bianca was born just a few days before Kim's 18th birthday. Two years later, she became a big sister to Olivia, or Liv as everyone called her. Bianca's parents split up several times. The first time was in 2010. According to a Rolling Stone article, Kim called Mike emotionally abusive. This allegation is backed up by multiple domestic incident complaints filed by the Utica police. Their rocky relationship finally came to a halt in 2015 with Mike leaving and maintaining minimal contact with his children. Bianca began struggling with mental illness when she was in middle school. Once an extroverted social butterfly, adolescence had transformed Bianca into a withdrawn and at times melancholy young woman. She was diagnosed with Borderline Personality Disorder, or BPD, a disorder that involves difficulty regulating emotions and maintaining stable relationships. In addition, she struggled to manage depression and anxiety throughout high school. In her sophomore year, Bianca's anxiety had reached a debilitating level. Kim's solution was to enroll her daughter in a home tutoring program, which seemed to make her mental health struggles more manageable. While Bianca's real life social circle was modestly sized, She enjoyed a rich online life. Tucked away behind a computer screen, Bianca developed connections with teens all over the world. Like so many others from her generation, she had profiles on multiple social media platforms, including Instagram, TikTok, Tumblr, 4chan, and Discord. Discord, a group chatting app that was originally designed for social gaming, has in recent years promoted itself more generally to online communities with interests ranging from K-pop to makeup. Voice chat servers are popular, especially among teens and young adults who often link their Discord accounts with gaming services like Twitch. Bianca's presence on Discord caught the attention of many internet gamers. With her kind face often framed by a brightly colored wig in photos, the 17-year-old came across as artistic and mysterious. In her younger years, Bianca spent her lunch periods at school tucked away in the art room. Once she got home, she could turn back into her confident and social former self online. Bianca's online persona allowed her to explore different identities without the risk of real-world rejection. In the spring of 2019, things were looking up for Bianca. She was seeing a therapist regularly, and her mother and sister reported signs of great improvement in Bianca's mental health. High school graduation was on the horizon. After graduating Thomas R. Proctor High School, Bianca planned to attend Mohawk Valley Community College in the fall, where she planned to study psychology. When she first began therapy, Bianca cycled through therapists, struggling to click with most of them. Bianca had also started dating someone around this time. 21-year-old Brandon Clark was an Instagram admirer and Discord contact. He lived an hour west of Utica in nearby Cicero, New York. Brandon began following Bianca on Instagram sometime in April of 2019. Because of the age difference between them, many would consider Brandon an orbiter, a slang term that refers to an older man online who showers a younger girl with attention, gifts, money, or drugs in hopes of attaining a romantic or sexual relationship with her. Sometimes these men expect nude photos. According to Rolling Stone, if the girl does anything that somehow deviates from an orbiter's perception of her, the retaliation is dramatic, usually involving being doxed or her nudes being leaked. Brandon may not have been the typical orbiter, but he was definitely fixated on Bianca. He took screenshots of their conversations, checked her various social media accounts always, and saved countless photos of her. Bianca's mom, Kim, told Rolling Stone that Brandon had even gotten a tattoo on his leg of a playground swing, one of Bianca's favorite things. She first spotted the ink when Brandon attended Bianca's graduation party. Brandon did not present any red flags to Kim, who had met him several times when he came over to hang out with her daughter. Kim learned that his childhood had been unstable when he opened up about being cycled through the state foster care system. But to her, he seemed well-adjusted, charming even. Though Kim knew that Brandon ended up in foster care, It's likely she did not know why. In 2010, his father, Jason Clark, held Brandon's mother hostage at knife point for 10 hours. According to the Post standard, Jason had threatened to slit his wife's throat and then kill himself. Brandon was only around 12 years old at the time, and witnessing violence at such an important stage in adolescence can have long-term effects. His mother, Michelle, was imprisoned years later on unknown charges. While Bianca and Brandon shared a close friendship, Brandon always wanted something more. Even though Bianca told him more than once she didn't want to date him, sometimes Brandon referred to himself as her boyfriend. He also sent her an obsessive amount of messages. People who knew Bianca often wondered why she hung out with Brandon if she had no interest in pursuing a relationship with him. Some of Bianca's friends who spoke with the Huffington Post allege that Brandon gave Bianca drugs in exchange for her companionship. The more likely explanation, however, is that she enjoyed his company, but just didn't think of him as a serious romantic prospect. When Bianca asked to go to a concert with Brandon, her mother had little reason to hesitate. It would be the first show Bianca attended without Kim's supervision. Kim told her daughter she could go, even though she was a little worried. For Kim, this concert outing symbolized Bianca's move toward independent young adulthood, which can be a tough transition for parents. As Kim told the post-standard, I trusted Brandon, and she was almost 18 and I knew she'd go even if I said no. This way seemed much better. This concert was particularly important to Bianca. Nicole Dolenganger, a Canadian Gothic folk singer whose songs address heavy topics like self-harm and depression, was one of Bianca's favorite artists, and she was performing at the concert. The July 13th concert was being held at a small venue in Queens called Trans Picos. It was a four-hour drive from Utica but Brandon was more than willing to accompany Bianca. On the day of the event, Bianca spent the earlier part of the day deciding what she would wear. Around 2.30 in the afternoon, Brandon picked her up in his black SUV. Before heading out, Bianca kissed her mom goodbye. She told her she loved her and promised to check in as much as possible. During the long drive downstate to Queens, Bianca Snapchatted her mom updates of their ETA and photos of the roadside scenery. At around 7.30 p.m., she texted Kim that they had arrived at the venue and were looking for parking. That was the last message Kim would ever receive from her daughter. Kim stayed awake, hoping to hear from Bianca once the show let out. By 1.45 a.m., she became very worried. It wasn't like Bianca to go silent, but Kim speculated that maybe they had pulled over somewhere to get a little sleep before making the long journey back. She went to bed expecting to see Bianca when she awoke. Around 7 o'clock the next morning, on Sunday, July 14th, there was a knock on Kim's front door. With her mother still asleep, Bianca's 15-year-old sister, Liv, answered. She was shocked to be greeted by two Utica police officers. Once Kim was called out of bed, officers shared the absolute worst news a mother could receive. Bianca had been brutally murdered, and they knew without a doubt who had done it. Brandon Clark murdered Bianca, and the unthinkable crime had been live-streamed on social media. My dog Shadow is truly one of my best friends. His happiness and safety means so much to me, which is why I recently started using the Halo Collar. Halo Collar is a smart dog collar that trains, tracks, and protects dogs so they can run off-leash without you having to worry. With Halo, I can create fences for Shadow by walking the perimeter with his Halo Collar or I can do it in the Halo app. The fences create barriers for Shadow while he's roaming off-leash, so he stays within a certain area. I love that I can check Shadow's location from the Halo app, and it works without cell or Wi-Fi service. The Halo collar took about 5 minutes to set up, and it's given me total peace of mind, knowing Shadow's status and location at all times. On top of everything I dig about this collar. It also comes with a 21-day training program that sets you up for success with your fur baby. Take advantage of this special limited-time introductory offer today. Save 20% on your Halo Collar by going to shophalocollarcom murderish. That's shophalocollarcom murderish to save 20%. You must go to this site to get this offer, and it can only be gotten here shophalocaller.com slash murderish One of the most stressful parts of my day is when my kids and husband look at me and say, we're hungry, what's for dinner? I'm so excited because I found a solution to this any day now, I will be receiving a full box of yumminess and it's called Green Chef Green Chef delivers delicious and easy to cook meal kits right to your doorstep, and you can choose from keto, paleo plant powered diets and more. Everything in the Green Chef meal kit is pre-measured to make things much easier on you. And they use organic veggies and top quality proteins in their meals. With Green Chef, I'll be able to whip up a tasty and healthy dinner for my family in about 30 minutes, which gives us more time to binge our favorite shows or play with our new puppy Clipper. Do yourself a huge favor, go to greenchef.com slash murderish100, and use code murderish100 to get $100 off, including free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash murderish100, and use code murderish100 100 for $100 off. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. In the early morning hours of July 14th, the Utica Police Department received an avalanche of calls. Lieutenant Brian Coramato recalled to Rolling Stone, the first call was from Tennessee. Someone on Discord saw the picture of her. She appeared to be deceased with a large wound on her neck, and it said her name and Utica, New York. But before officers could even respond to the long-distance calls about Bianca, Brandon Clark himself called 911. According to the Rome Sentinel, he made his intentions clear. By telling the dispatcher, there's going to be, there's a murder-suicide. I'm not going to stay on the phone for long, because I still need to do the suicide part of the murder-suicide. He also shared his exact location. Officers soon arrived at the scene, a dead-end street in Utica, only about a mile from where Bianca attended high school. Brandon was found lying on the ground beside his SUV. As officers cautiously approached him, they were shocked when Brandon stabbed himself in the neck while lying across a green tarp. The bizarre ordeal was not over. The officers then watched in disbelief as Brandon took several selfies with his phone. With a few quick taps, he posted the photos to his Snapchat with the caption, Ashes to Ashes. Authorities soon realized the caller's allegations had been true. Bianca's maimed body lay underneath that green tarp. Her neck had been cut so deep she was nearly decapitated. Investigators would not learn just how public the murder had been until later that day. A struggle followed. The responding officers had ruined Clark's plan to die by suicide. Sustaining life-threatening injuries, he was transported to St. Elizabeth's Hospital to undergo emergency surgery. By Thursday of that week, Brandon had recovered enough to be transported to Oneida County Jail. This gave the world plenty of time to react to the gruesome murder shared across social media. A short distance away from Bianca's body, officers noticed a small fire burning. After the blaze was extinguished, they located Clark's scorched laptop and an external hard drive. They also noted the words, may you never forget me, spray-painted on the ground, an apparent reference to a Japanese manga where the characters are in a toxic relationship. In Brandon Clark's mind, all of his actions amounted to some kind of dark, twisted romance in the vein of a Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet but there had been no murder-suicide pact between the two of them, just premeditated murder and a twisted dream of social media infamy. Soon after the Devins family was informed of Bianca's death, there was an outpouring of support. Family and friends rallied around Kim and Liv, filling the house with condolences and prayers. For hours, Everyone gathered in the living room and silently checked their phones for any updates. The family only became aware of the grisly post-mortem photo when one of Liv's friends made a sound of complete disgust. Someone had direct messaged her a photo of Clark posing with Bianca's body. It wouldn't come to light just how widely shared the death photo was until later that Sunday. Not only had Clark live-streamed the murder on his Snapchat and Instagram stories, he had also posted images of Bianca's corpse on Discord and 4chan. These photos were shared across social media platforms, even on sites Bianca had never visited. The most disturbing photo came with a caption directed at Bianca's admirers that read, You're gonna have to find somebody else to orbit. Other photos were captioned with the words, I'm sorry, Bianca, and one from inside the car read, Here comes hell. It's redemption, right? The captioned photos had originally appeared at 6 a.m. on a Discord channel Bianca had frequented, but resurfaced on different platforms and private messages between users. Disturbingly, the gory photos were also used as a tool for harassing Bianca's younger sister, Liv. In a court statement documented by CNN, Liv shared, Many random people set their profile pictures as my sister's death photo and went on my page knowing I would, without a doubt, see it. The picture to this day continues to be sent to me, but I now have all of my social media accounts deleted. An outrageous level of trolling was targeted at Bianca's mother as well on several occasions, random online users would attempt to airdrop the photos to the grieving mother. Luckily, every time this happened, Liv or a family friend would intervene, shielding Kim from further trauma. Hours after hearing of her death, the Devins family released a statement. According to CNN, it said, Bianca, age 17, was a talented artist, a loving sister, daughter and cousin, and a wonderful young girl, taken from us all too soon. She is now looking down on us as she joins her cat, Belle, in heaven. Bianca's smile brightened our lives. She will always be remembered as our princess. Commentary on the case emerged from all sides, the media, Bianca's loved ones, anonymous social media followers, and domestic violence experts most commentators seemed to agree on one thing. The calculated murder itself was appalling. The fact that it had been captured in photos and live video that was shared all over the internet was unconscionable. Some news outlets believed the case turned a spotlight on a larger cultural issue plaguing America. As USA Today remarked, this case is less about social media And more about how male entitlement and toxic masculinity continue to fuel violence against girls and women. Other media went so far as to call Brandon an incel, an abbreviation of the internet term involuntary celibate to refer to male entitlement over female sexuality. While Brandon didn't directly associate with any online incel communities, he won their praise for the killing. Incels saw this as an act of revenge against all the pretty girls who had ever rejected their advances. Initially, some online users did not believe the photos were real. After all, our modern society has desensitized us against violence through horror films, body cam footage, and graphic execution clips. The disbelievers thought maybe they were looking at stills from a low-budget slasher film, not a real murder. The Utica community as a whole was badly shaken. The crime amplified latent fears about social media interactions. Sergeant Michael Curley told Rolling Stone, They met via social media platforms, so it was the primary source of the beginnings of their relationship. And I think obviously through him posting things again, through social media post-killing, That was his way of generating attention and generating fame for himself. It's a tragedy. A 17-year-old has unfortunately lost her life at the hands of someone her family trusted her to be with. Even the singer whose concert Bianca had attended, Nicole Dollenganger, made a public comment about the devastating news. She told Rolling Stone, What happened to this beautiful angel was evil, cruel, and senseless. The performer also implored her fans to stop sharing the horrific content her murderer distributed. While many commentators thought this homicide centered around social media, some believed the internet's role in this case was irrelevant. Cindy Southworth, executive vice president at the U.S. National Network to End Domestic Violence, told USA Today, This is not an Instagram story. This is a story about dating violence and homicide, about power and control, about a man who felt entitled to take a girl's life and emboldened to post photos of it on a gaming platform. People who control their partners don't care if they meet online or in college. They were dating and he killed her. My guess is they were fighting and he was trying to exert control and she was resisting control. A 2017 report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention revealed more than half of female homicide victims are killed through intimate partner violence. There is no record or testimony that Brandon was physically abusive to Bianca in the past, but experts argue his obsessive behaviors are often a form of abuse. Southworth also concluded that Brandon's need to taunt Bianca's followers indicates he is an abuser. She told USA Today, it's about dominating her world and wanting to be the only person who is important. Maureen Curtis, vice president of Safe Horizon, another domestic violence nonprofit, shared her take with Rolling Stone. She said, It's really the ultimate action of having control. It's saying, I have control. I'm going to show you I have control here. I'll kill you. And then I'll videotape you and show it to others so they'll see what control I have over you. It's not just hurting her by killing her, but hurting the people who love her. While Brandon's character was being publicly evaluated, a larger question loomed. Why were the post-mortem photos allowed to remain on social media long enough for people to save and share them? In a lot of ways, internet companies are legally shielded. A CNN report on the case stated companies like Instagram and Discord are broadly protected from liability for what their users post. While they have general rules about what users can share, they face few consequences when those guidelines are broken. But for the families whose pain is exploited in these tragedies, the hurt lingers on and on. The decision to remove posts flagged for violating user guidelines rests solely with a specific platform's content moderators. With millions of users on each site, many argue that it is difficult to police offensive posts in a timely manner. A rep from Discord told CNN, We are shocked and deeply saddened by this terrible situation. We are working closely with law enforcement to provide any assistance we can. In the meantime, our hearts go out to Bianca's family and loved ones. By Monday, the Discord server where Clark had posted the videos and photos was no longer accessible. His homicidal exhibitionist stories on Instagram and Snapchat had expired past their 24-hour window, and his Instagram account had been removed indefinitely. Prior to removal, his Instagram profile confirmed Clark's intent to die by suicide with the heading October 6, 1997 to July 14, 2019. Just know that I feel no pain now. An Instagram spokesperson released a public statement to CNN that said, Our hearts go out to those affected by this tragic event. We are taking every measure to remove this content from our platforms. To Kim Devins, the response from social media companies was unacceptable. She commented to the Post Standard, both Instagram and Facebook overstated how quickly they took the pictures down. There were pictures found on Facebook well into September, buried in comments and cover photos. I posted a tribute to Bianca with music. The post was immediately muted due to copyright. However, the graphic and violent photo of my daughter after she was murdered was allowed to be spread. Kim was not the only one frustrated. Other social media users took it upon themselves to start the hashtag #RIPBianca, which quickly started trending on Twitter and Instagram. In the weeks following the murder, merely typing Bianca Devins into a search engine could take someone directly to the disturbing photos. With the new hashtag, the violent images would gradually be replaced by messages memorializing Bianca. Kim also set up a Facebook group called Remembering Bianca Devins, where people from all over the world could gather to rejoice in memories of Bianca and share artwork inspired by her. A few members created photo art taking recent images of Bianca and surrounding her with pink clouds, her favorite color. Thanks to Bianca's supporters, these types of images eventually replaced the gory ones in searches and social media posts. It provided Bianca's loved ones some comfort to remember the wonderful person she was instead of dwelling on how violently her life had been taken away. A vigil was held in Bianca's honor in the days leading up to her funeral. Over 300 people attended the funeral service. While coping with grief, Bianca's loved ones waited for more answers. I've been taking Gainful nutritional supplements for about a month now and here's why. When I took the five minute quiz on Gainful's website, my dietary needs and unique physiology were taken into consideration in order to provide me with a personalized formula of supplements that would assist in achieving my unique fitness goals. I knew I'd be getting high quality and effective supplements because Gainful's products are formulated by their on-staff registered dietitians. Remember the days of walking into a nutrition store and crossing your fingers that the person behind the counter knew which supplements would actually work for you? Those days are over. With Gainful, you'll get effective supplements that are backed by pro-level exercise scientists who sit on Gainful's science advisory board. Plus, as a Gainful customer, you can consult with your own registered dietitian who is available anytime to answer your questions. And on top of all of this, I love that there are no artificial flavors, colors, or sweeteners in my Gainful supplements. I stay hydrated and fueled by Gainful's clean ingredient nutritional supplements and they taste so good. To get $20 off your personalized supplements, go to gainful.com/murderish. That's gainful.com/murderish for $20 off. Gainful, personalized nutrition made for your taste. An investigation led by Utica Police Sergeant Michael Curley soon revealed the severity of the crime. A New York Times article conveyed that investigators were poring over all of the social media accounts set up by Bianca and her killer. The goal was to see if this was a case of internet harassment that had spilled over into real world violence. While Clark's guilt was well documented, his motive was still not entirely clear. It was determined by detectives that Bianca and Clark had left the concert venue around 10 p.m. By searching Bianca's social media accounts, they learned she had been talking to another guy. A Discord user named Alex lived in Jersey City, not far from where the concert was being held in Queens. He and Bianca had several flirtatious exchanges and had planned to meet up that night. It's unlikely that Brandon was aware of the arrangement beforehand. Through interviews, detectives learned that he had caught Bianca and Alex kissing on his way back from a store close to the venue. This perceived betrayal evidently enraged Clark and provided a motive for him to take Bianca's life. Video footage captured by Clark's phone gave detectives a play-by-play of the crime. The footage begins by showing Bianca asleep in the back seat. Clark wakes Bianca up to confront her about kissing the other guy. Bianca apologized but reminded him that they are not monogamous and not really together as a couple. Clark seemed dissatisfied with this answer and then he struck her. Bianca can be heard pleading with him to take her home. She even threatened to get out of the car and walk. In a news release published in USA Today, Utica Police shared the investigation revealed that the argument progressed until the male produced a large, black-handled knife and used this to inflict the injuries that caused her death. Clark had retrieved the knife from his trunk earlier that day and hid it on the door side of the driver's seat. Although Kim Devins has purposely never viewed the footage, she told Rolling Stone, I was told that he really caught her off guard. She had no clue what was coming. She had no time to fight or defend herself. But this was not a crime of passion. It was obviously an impulsive retaliation against a girl who rejected Clark. Aside from the knife used to kill Bianca, officers also found several other knives, rope, and digging tools at the crime scene all indications that there was some pre-planning involved. Investigators had also explored Clark's internet search history. In the months leading up to the crime, he had searched methods of killing someone. According to Rolling Stone, his mother Michelle argued the research can be explained away by his plan to die by suicide. To detectives, all of the evidence suggested the murder had been carefully planned. The only aspect that had not gone according to plan was Brandon's suicide. He had struggled against the officers and EMTs who rushed to save his life. He never thought he would live to face charges for his crimes. After his surgery, Clark pleaded guilty to the charge of second-degree murder. This avoided the need for a trial by jury, which came as a relief to Bianca's family. Kim Devins told Rolling Stone... It was bad enough that we had to sit through in court the details we had to hear. I can't imagine sitting through a trial and having to go through that. According to the publication, if the case had gone to trial, the family would have been subjected to the video footage Clark captured on his phone, which was mounted to the car's dashboard. Michelle Clark, Brandon's mother, said that her son pleaded out of a trial to spare Bianca's family. Lt. Coromato, however, held a more cynical perspective about the plea. He told Rolling Stone, My personal opinion is it's more or less self-preservation. He's trying to get more of his story out there, and the video would not benefit him in that regard. Trial or no trial, Rolling Stone stressed the importance of the footage, which shed light on Bianca's final moments as well as what prosecutors believe to be one of Clark's motives for the crime, that he took her life in part because he was incensed she would not agree to a monogamous relationship with him. Kim Devins agreed with the assessment of Clark's motive, finding it likely that he had an attitude of, if I can't have her, no one will. A sentencing hearing was originally scheduled for November of 2020. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, it was postponed to March of 2021. Clark used this extra time to set up another hearing in an attempt to retract his original plea. In October of 2020, he appeared before Judge Michael Dwyer at the Oneida County Court. Under New York state law, the court can decide whether to allow a defendant to reverse a guilty plea. After entering his plea, Clark had a change of heart and thought he'd have better luck with a jury trial. He argued that his former defense attorney had not informed him of a possible psychiatric defense known as Extreme Emotional Disturbance, or EED. Clark claimed that he had been misled and pressured into entering a guilty plea without being presented with all of the options. The Observer Dispatch documented Judge Dwyer's comments before he rejected the reversal. He remarked, that's the confusing part. It seemed like, in the beginning, you were focused on the family, the pain that you caused that family. But somewhere in the interim, you started to focus on yourself. And that was what was confusing to everyone. You were more worried about yourself than Bianca. On March 17, 2021, 40 of Bianca's loved ones gathered in court to hear how Bianca's killer would be sentenced. Frank Williams, Bianca's maternal grandfather, and her sister Liv both made impact statements. According to the Observer Dispatch, Williams addressed his granddaughter's murderer by saying, you, Brandon, deserve to spend the rest of your life in prison, without freedom, deprived of the rights you took from Bianca. When Liv made her statement, she tried to get the court to understand how traumatized she was by the photos of her slain older sister. She mentioned how she has trouble falling asleep without being haunted by the horrifying images and no longer has a social media presence. Liv deleted all of her accounts due to the fear of either being harassed by more photos or meeting a stranger who could harm her like Bianca. As published in the Observer Dispatch, she added, I have to live the rest of my life knowing I had to say goodbye to my sister in a funeral home and I don't even know if she heard me. I am now 17 years old. My life has just begun, but this is when Bianca's was taken. According to CNN, Kim Devins also spoke briefly to urge Judge Dwyer to make sure that Brandon Clark remains in prison for the rest of his life so that he cannot harm anyone else and inflict this horrific pain on any other family. Before the judge read his sentence, Clark opted to make a statement. He expressed remorse, saying he wished he could reverse his actions and take his own life instead. He is quoted in the Observer Dispatch as saying, how do you meaningfully apologize for doing something so horrible, so irreversible? That's the worst part. I can't take it back. I hate myself for what I did to her. I don't understand how I could do something like that. It disgusts me but these words must have felt like the equivalent of crocodile tears to Bianca's mother. According to the Post Standard, Kim heard about an interaction that completely contradicted Clark's supposed remorse. While in jail awaiting trial, Clark wrote a letter to a friend and stated that he murdered Bianca because he couldn't handle the thought of her walking out of his life. He bragged about murdering my child by writing a transcript of the murder video with personal notes about what it was like to take a life. Brandon Clark was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison for the murder of Bianca Devins. The earliest he will be eligible for parole is in 2046. It will be up to Bianca's family to appear before a parole board at the time to argue in favor of keeping him behind bars. While the family felt a sense of closure with Clark's incarceration, They, of course, knew it would never bring Bianca back. Kim Devins shared with the Post Standard, With the death of your child comes the most unimaginable, indescribable pain. A pain that time cannot heal and only seems to worsen. Life without Bianca will never be the same. Our family will never again be complete. My entire adult life, I have been Bianca's mom. Without her, I don't know who I am. Bianca was not only my daughter, she was my best friend. Several months after Bianca's death, Kim Devins worked with her congressman, Representative Anthony Brindisi, to develop a congressional bill. The legislature deemed Bianca's law would hold social media companies accountable for displaying graphic content. According to the legal monitor, Bianca's law proposed to require social media companies to establish an office dedicated to identifying and removing violent and gory content that violates such companies' social media platform content moderation standards although the bill made it all the way to the house in September of 2020 unfortunately it didn't go any further the bill expired in a previous congress before receiving any votes Perhaps far-reaching legal changes won't come right away, but the Devins family has already made a lasting impact on the life of Tiana Guzman. She was the first recipient of the Bianca Michelle Devins Memorial Scholarship Fund, specifically for students pursuing a degree in psychology so they can continue Bianca's dream to help adolescents with mental illness, according to the Community Foundation website. Guzman studies child psychology at Utica College and will use the scholarship to pursue graduate study in art therapy. Remarking on the scholarship, Kim Devins commented to the Observer Dispatch, our family created this scholarship with the Community Foundation so that Bianca's dream would be carried on through others. When asked by other parents for advice on how to protect their kids against violent predators like Clark, Kim was at a loss. She told Rolling Stone, I don't have any advice because he was so meticulous and good about hiding who he was. His own family can't figure out how this goofy, nerdy, funny boy they raised turned into a monster. So if his own family didn't see anything scary, how could we? That's the scariest part of this. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Murderish. Don't forget to follow my new podcast called Judgy and Juryish. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, I'll be on Podcast Row at CrimeCon 2022 in Vegas. You will not want to miss this event. Use promo code MURDERISH to get 10% off of a standard badge. That's code MURDERISH for 10% off. See you at CrimeCon next year. Check out murderish.com if you want to buy Murderish merch like t-shirts, face masks, and more. If you can't get enough Murderish, subscribe to our Patreon service to get immediate access to bonus content only available to Patreon subscribers. There's a link to go behind the scenes and become a Patreon subscriber at Murderish.com. Thank you to Samantha R. and Nadia F. for becoming Murderish Patreon subscribers. I appreciate you both. If you haven't joined the Murderish Facebook discussion group, do it. We have so much fun in there. You can also find me on Instagram at Murderish Podcast and on Twitter at Murderish Pod. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, tell a friend about Murderish or rate the show and write a review in your favorite podcast app. Murderish is mixed and mastered by John and Jessica Buchanis, of Audio Editing Solutions. Music is by Nico of We Talk of Dreams. This episode was researched and written by Allison Schwartz. Stick around after the closing music to hear a promo for Unforbidden Truth podcast. You'll also hear a list of sources used for this episode. As always, ishers, thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish. And remember, listening to this podcast does not make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. My name is Andrew Dodge. I have spent the last 11 years getting to know some of America's most notorious criminals, such as serial killers, spree killers, mass murderers, domestic and foreign terrorists, and many more types of criminals. Unforbidden Truth will bring you exclusive interviews with convicted criminals, professionals in the mental health and law enforcement field, and much more. Subscribe to Unforbidden Truth on any podcast platform to join me on a -a one-of-a-kind true crime experience. Sources for this episode include... September 21st, 2020 information found at congress.gov. An Observer Dispatch article dated October 8th, 2020 by Alex Cooper. A USA Today article dated July 17th, 2019 by Aliyah E. Dastager. A Rolling Stone article dated December 17th, 2009 by E.J. Dixon. A Rolling Stone article dated February 14th, 2020 by E.J. Dixon. An article in the Post Standard dated February 12th, 2020 by Elizabeth Duran. A New York Times article dated July 15th, 2019 by Michael Gold. A CNN article dated July 17th, 2019 by Scotty Andrew and Karma Hassan. A HuffPost.com article dated December 17th, 2019 by Melissa Jeltson. A July 19th, 2019 HuffPost.com article by Melissa Jeltson. A HuffPost.com article dated March 17, 2021, by Haley Miller. A December 16, 2019, Rome Sentinel article by Sean I. Mills. An Observer Dispatch article dated March 17, 2021, by Rose H. Schneider. A People.com article dated March 17, 2021, by Jeff Trusdell. An October 23, 2020 Legal Monitor Worldwide article with no author. 2021 information found at cityofutica.com. 2021 information found at foundationhoc.org.